People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. This is Fine Music Radio and Rodney Trudgeon welcoming you to this week's edition of People of Note. Now, a book has recently been published called Calling the Daughters. It's by Judy Becker. And this book invites us to step into a sacred wisdom circle of mothers, elder women, and daughters as they journey together and dive into the essential yet often difficult conversations of womanhood, spirituality, sexuality, purpose, and death. Through inspiring stories, poetry, and heartfelt ceremonial guidance, Judy has brought life to the powerful experiences of young women, the daughters, who volunteer to be guided, mentored, and initiated into womanhood by their trusted and chosen circle of elder women. And on the front cover, there's a quote from Margaret Wheatley who says, this is not a book, it's an immersion. So I've been very intrigued with this book because it's not exactly my subject, but Judy is here with me in the studio and is going to guide us through. Judy, welcome, first of all. It's great to have you here. Thank you. I would like to know, first of all, before we get into the nub of the matter, what actually made you write, sit down and write a book like this on the subject? Gosh, it's been my life's work, Rodney. It began in the 1980s when my daughters were young, um, very young, and a group of women were in conversation about very little preparation for adulthood beyond school or church and very little marking of key stages of life. And so out of those cups of tea came an extraordinary journey. So I haven't been writing the book since the 1980s, but did a lot of this work in inviting mothers and daughters to contemplate a rite of passage and um, an initiation, you could say. Africa is magnificent in its upholding of initiation ceremony, but in the so-called Western society, you know, we've marked births and marriages and deaths and 21st birthdays, and but very little of the many, many milestones that all human beings go through, men and women, but we chose to begin working with women. So the book has been probably about 15 years in the <laughs> writing, but all the while I was gathering, gathering the ground and um, doing rites of passage processes with mothers and daughters and their circles of women. So that's the outcome. The book is the outcome. Now, in this you say young women, the experiences of young women who volunteer to be guided. So did that happen in the course of this 15 years? You chose people to specifically mentor, for want of a better word. Yes, yes, and because we only worked with people who would approach us. So to begin with, the circle of women who created this way back when began to do it with our own daughters, one by one. 
That's a very critical piece. This is not done with groups of girls or groups of younger women. It's daughter by daughter, which is a powerful thing because the daughter can't be made to do this. The mother can invite and say, are you interested? And the daughter then calls her circle of women, women that she's known all her life, women she's known quite well or very little. And she invites these women to consider guiding her through this journey from birth to death, to aging, living and dying. And so the mother invites and the daughter has to say yes and be free to choose who she wants. So mummy can't say, darling, you've got to have great aunt this and great uncle that. No, daughter can say, no thanks, don't want them. So we've only worked, I've only worked with people who began to approach me in the last 15 years saying, I've heard about this, will you help us set this up? And there's, in the book there's lots of description of how this plays out, that someone like me would help set the circle up and then the circle determines and creates and gets very creative week by week they will take the daughter through one of the stages. So would it help if I named the different stages? Yeah, of course it would. Please, please so do. So the very first one is conception, birth, and early childhood, and that's done with the mother and daughter alone, just the two of them. How many of us get to hear our birth story? From our, our From own our mothers, mothers yes, yeah. yes. Many, many people in this country have not had that privilege and gift because their mothers haven't told them or aren't alive or so to have that time with your own mother and the next stage is um, sexuality and adolescence that very tricky phase where families think good grief are we going to survive each other um, <laughs> there's a session on menstruation and that cycle for young women which is key there's a session on being a young woman in the world, which is a favorite one and includes things like life choice, career, purpose, vision, handling money. There's a session on relationship, all relationship with all things, self and other. And there the whole thing on gender identity has come into the picture in latter years because we are no longer in a binary world in the way we were. There's a session on um, motherhood, mother nature, wild nature, because women's wild nature has been socialized, conditioned out of us. So we wish to remind young women, as young men are also being reminded these days, we have a wild nature that can be very creative, not unruly, and in other words, not negative either. Not negative. Positive, in fact. Yes, absolutely. And also the mother nature is around our relationship to earth. And there's such an alignment between the feminine principle and our earth that we're stewarding. And how mothers are actually stewarding their children. But we're also playing a huge part in stewarding the earth and endeavoring to keep them both safe. We, we haven't always done so well, mm, have we? <laughs> then there's menopause, which is so 
unspoken still. So us as creators, the woman who gathered years back, became quite zealous in our desire to not hide women's cycles. We began speaking about it when we'd have hot flushes in the middle of a corporate workshop, you know, and say, sorry, I have to open a window. Mm-hmm. Not hiding things or keeping silent about things. So people say, well, menopause is quite tricky to speak with a 16, 17, 18-year-old daughter about. She's miles away from it. Why would she care? They do, and it also helps them understand their mothers. Okay, now I want to ask you a number of questions resulting from what you've just told me, but let's just take a music break while we ponder what you've mentioned. And you've chosen John Williams, the guitarist. I see a favorite of yours. You said how much you love music. You might not know what it's called, but you just love it. Mm. I love a wide range of music, and I thought, well, I'm coming to find music radio. (laughs) I mean, I do have to choose something classical, which isn't always my first leaning. But I love guitar, I love flute, and I love the human voice, as I was saying earlier to Mm. you, Mm. Um, and the combination of all. Mm. Okay, well, here's a touch of classical music, but from the 20th century, Rodrigo's famous guitar concerto with John Williams as soloist. Thank you. 
was the first movement of the guitar concerto by Rodrigo, the Concerto de Aranjuez, and it was played by John Williams, and it was the first choice of my guest on People of Note here on Fine Music Radio this week, and that's Judy Becker, whose new book, Calling the Daughters, is described as not being a book at all, but an immersion, and we're going to come to that, but Judy, you were telling me about the various sections, and we stopped Round about the challenges and gifts of menopause before we get to old age. And interesting that you put gifts of menopause. Does menopause have gifts? It certainly does. I know. It's not always been billed in that way. But we particularly worked with that in order to turn some very embedded views, beliefs, dreads, experiences and I'm part of the generation that began to explore the traditional ways of managing menopause and the untraditional ways of managing menopause, how one could help oneself. And so our desire related to that of to be able to point daughters, even if they're very young, to know that when the time drew nearer or they were interested, they might pick up certain books and read and understand that there are options. Also though, how important for a daughter to develop understanding of what her mother's going through. And so often in our families, mother is perimenopausal or in menopause and daughter has got boy or girl written all over her forehead. She's juicing up. Mum's juicing down, if I may put it like that, <laughs> or think she is. That's a way of putting it. Exactly, yeah. and there the two are together. Yeah, yeah. So for daughter to understand, oh, this is what's happening for mum. She's going through a major change, mm. and here we are possibly clashing too much or a lot. Let's slow down, understand, talk, be there for each other in a different way. The other piece about this is we began to talk with men years ago about andropause, which is the cycle that men go through of a certain age, too often characterized by the desire to buy a sports car or find a younger model. And many <laughs> of uh, a younger two-legged model. Um, and so many men we began talking to were saying, well, what's andropause? So we became quite intrigued by how little was known. 
Yeah. It's interesting because we're talking about rites of passage, but we're talking about women here, but famously in this country, rites of passage for men, the initiation process that sometimes causes problems in certain communities and other ones. But would a man learn something from reading this book? A man would learn a lot about what it is to be a woman, and we have always carried alongside this work a longing to have men avail themselves and be invited into rites of passage work. So for many years now, all over the world, something called the Mankind Project has been afoot and doing good work in this country too. And years back, they began working with boys, with young men. So there are passage rites and initiation and explorations happening for men and boys. Would I be right in saying that there seems to be more of an emphasis on men and boys, not through a structured thing like this, but <laughs> I'm saying something against myself here. Men seem to be more lucky in that they seem to get more understanding than women. The women's situation seems to be rather intriguing and mysterious to men, certainly. Yes, and I don't know that men have more understanding. I think given our societies now and how we've evolved and all the transformation that's happened and not happened, I feel for men these days, I think women are really rising in their own sense of self and what they bring and what they have to offer. And I think sometimes that's been hard for men. So many of the men I've worked with, because I do work with both men and women, not with men in the context of this book, but I've always worked with both men and women in rites of passage of other kinds, in the wilderness and so on. And men have spoken for years about a deep uncertainty and a confusion. As women rise, it's hard for men. Mm -hmm. So I would love to have more happening for men. And in fact, some of us women who've always felt women do rites of passage work with girls, men do it with boys. No overlap. Some of us have begun to feel maybe it's time to change that thinking. Perhaps we as women, now as grandmothers, need to start calling the boys and work with the men. I don't know. I'm uncertain. But We'll see. Okay. I want to ask you about another chapter, but we're going to do this after your next piece of music, where you, you mentioned some of the steps, uh, but there's one that intrigues me here, aging and dying, which is important mm -hmm. as well, apart from the youthful thing. But your second piece of music, Bobby McFerrin and his version of the 23rd Psalm. Just tell me about this, what we're going to hear. Bobby McFerrin, who brings to life for me the power of voice, and I love the sound of the human voice. I love to sing. I love to make up simple songs. I encourage other people to create their own. And the way Bobby works with sound and his voice, and this particular piece he dedicated to his mother. So you will listen out for a gender change. In the um, psalm. Yes, in the yes. psalm. But I love the way he works with others. And this is a choir at a festival. It's a cappello. And for me, it's magnificent. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all I 
That arrangement of Psalm 23 with Bobby McFerrin and a choir, as you said, and it was the second choice of my guest on People of Note here on Fine Music Radio this week, Judy Becker, whose new book is called Calling the Daughters. I mentioned just before the music about a chapter here called Death and Dying, Aging and Dying, but I also another one caught my eye, this spiritual or religious life. And I don't know, are you... A religious person or are you a spiritual person or how do you place yourself before we start talking about how you deal with girls mm. going through that period I describe myself as one who has a very strong spiritual life so I believe in the power that animates life the divine spirit there's lots of option on what you name that so I am a spiritual 
person. Mm. But you also are very involved in interfaith work, aren't you, among all sorts of uh, denominations and religions, faiths? Yes, I have done that. I don't usually join groups. <laughs> well, that's interesting. Um, I love Groucho Marx, who said years ago, I won't join any group that would have me. It's <laughs> <laughs> a famous question. I know, it is, yeah, rather. Yeah. But that's not really my reason for not joining. I grew up, grew up in spiritual community. It was not a traditional community and um, spent many, many years living in that intentional community and then realized in my, mm, I don't know, quite late on, actually I want a one-on-one -on -one relationship with spirit. I don't need to have group and that my reverence and awe and worship can happen wherever I am. So I adore being in churches, I adore being in synagogues, I'd love to be in mosques, but I love to be in nature, and that's my, you know, that old cliché, nature is my cathedral. Mm. My garden can be my cathedral, I live next to the ocean. Truly. So, yeah, so yeah. it's not about belonging to a church or adopting a particular theosophy, uh, yeah. And you... I need to say preached. You talk about that in this chapter for yeah. women to go through uh, the spiritual or religious life. Well, what that chapter is there for is to explore how the daughter finds beauty, where she knows her reverence, what she finds holy, H-O-L-Y. Yes, yes. And some daughters who've been through this come from very religious families, and I write about this. Whatever your daughter's context and environment that will be supported so this is a non-denominational journey but what's crucial for me is you're not here to convince a daughter to take on anything you're here to ask questions and have her think and examine what is it that I love where do I feel supported what do I believe mm. now the chapter towards the end living aging and dying that must be a bit of a challenge to go through with a young woman or an older woman. Because mm. uh, I presume we're not only talking about young women here. No. It could be a woman who's even past menopause who wants to find something, mm. to go through a rite of passage somehow. Mm. So I've done this work with daughters, young, and older women. And in fact, when the women get called by a daughter... They are overwhelmed often at the very thought of something like this. And where they go to first is, oh, how I wish I could have had this when I was 16. Mm. And actually how I wish I could do something now that I'm 35 or 40 or 50. So you're never too late to have a rite of passage in that okay. sense. But women are often very moved, very honored to be invited and very moved by the invitation. So what we find these days is death is not a stranger. Death is a familiar for, I mean, I just finished a rite of passage with a beautiful young woman of Zimbabwean, German, South African origins, and her father, a Zimbabwean, had died and a few months earlier, and she called her circle, and she wanted both men and women in the circle. And um, she's in the book, and... Um, it was so beautiful being invited into the ongoing grieving passage that she was still in. But for her to feel the surround she had, some of the people she had called were great friends with her father, her late father. So 
It's an important piece because we are so youth-centered these days and aging is not fashionable <laughs> and neither is death. And so for us to begin to work with it, with the younger ones, so that we're not strangers to it. I mean, death is part of life. So this is one of my favorite pieces, actually. And um, it's one of the longest chapters in the book. And what took me towards an interest in this is that I went through a period where a lot of my family members died one after the other. And I was really confronted. I had not lost anybody close to me, and I was in my 50s. Mm -hmm. mm. So that was a big wake-up call for me, and um, I was with several of those family members in their dying. So I learned a lot about that death will get us all eventually. We can't kid ourselves about that. I just want to ask you something about the structure of what you do and how you set about it after your next piece of music, where we have Yo-Yo Ma, your yeah. cellist, is here also a great favorite of yours. He is, and I mean, one of my peak experiences, I've had a few of them at Kirstenbosch, but was being with him at Kirstenbosch when he was last here. Oh, did you go <gasps> to that? Yes. The combination of that man and his incredible beauty and capacity and the mm. mountain behind, I mean, it's sort of etched in one's <laughs> being. You know. I wasn't there, but I remember yeah. people were absolutely blown away. Mm. And he played the six Bach cello suites. Yes. Which, and yes. so I thought we'd have him playing the cello suite number one, the famous opening prelude to the cello suite number one. How about that? Beautiful. Thank you. 
that was Yo-Yo Ma playing the prelude to the cello suite number one, the one in G by Bach. Yo-Yo Ma, the cellist, and a great favorite apparently of yours, Judy. Mm. And you said you went, yes, you told us you went to Kirsten Bosch. Mm. My guest is Judy Becker, and we're talking about quite an intriguing book that she's written called Calling the Daughters, which Margaret Wheatley says is not a book, it's an immersion, as we're discovering as we chat to you. But you know, at the beginning, when you were very new to the program, um, you were explaining things, but what I don't think I understood was you said the daughter would go to the mother and the mother would... How does that happen? Do they read something in the press? Uh, these are naive questions, believe me. How do they know about you and what you do? It's by word of mouth mostly, and we have a very wide network. Myself and my business partner and life partner... And so over the years, I've become known, we've become known for this body of work. So women talk to each other as women do, <laughs> and um, words spread. And as I said earlier, I think, I only work on invitation. I wouldn't want to be asked by 20 people whether I would initiate a rite of passage process. I couldn't cope with that amount of, of holding, because it's a big thing. You're launching a 10-week process. We've named all the stages that we work with, with the daughter and her circle. It's a 10-week journey, and every Saturday or Sunday, the daughter will be ready, not being sure where she's going, waiting to be collected by a few of those women who've prepared a special few hours for her to explore and experience that topic. And so any rite of passage has to have an unknown, has to evoke a bit of frisson, yes. you know, a bit of fear. What is Absolutely. this? What am I doing? Yeah. 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 And we cross thresholds all the time. This is simply marking those. A rite of passage involves a severance, a letting go. That's what mm. we're asking the young woman. Mm. As you're growing into womanhood, what are you taking with you? What are you leaving behind? Whatever the theme we're working with. Mm -hmm. And there's a threshold crossing where we have to jump. So the mother will hear about it somehow. And then she may call, she may not, she may buy the book. That's why I wrote this book. So Joe Smith can walk into a bookstore and pick it up and say, I'd like to do this. She could then ask her daughter. She doesn't have to give her daughter the book to read. She needs to internalize what this is about and feel into that and the daughter can say no 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 for a year or two and one day she might say I'm ready and then on they'll go so my job has been when I'm approached to say fine I would like the circle of women and you the mother to gather in my home I have a very flexible, marvelous, expanding home. It's a heritage house on the sea at Fishhook. And we do a lot of work in and around that house. I say to the mother, bring your women and you come and we will sit together for a day and we'll talk through how they're going to create for this daughter. And mother, you're going to buy the book for each woman. Okay. Who are the other women? That the daughter has called. Oh, so she might want... Auntie Gladys mm -hmm. or a school friend or mm -hmm. a, and she says come with me there's this interesting so I'm getting the gist now the daughter and mother 
create a very particular invitation mm -hmm. to the woman she calls. Okay. She does not have a peer, no peers, got to be older than her. And ideally, you have all ages up to 90 okay. who, oh. would, who would be part of that circle and would probably work with aging, living and dying. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, this book that you've written is a handbook for people who want to get involved. This is what they follow. It is, and it's filled with stories of some of what has been done with these daughters, the most creative, amazing things. Mm. And it's also part memoir. I felt if I was sharing daughters' and mothers' lives of these passages, that I should include some of my own. So there's quite a lot of memoir, which was an interesting piece to add. It's very vulnerable-making. Well, I want to ask you a strange question now. I feel I'm asking you strange questions, Judy. What What is your day job? I mean, what do you do? What is your profession? <laughs> <laughs> I love how you ask that, Rodney. <laughs> what is my day job? Well, as someone who doesn't do retirement, I mean, I suppose I could say, well, I have retired from the corporate work as a facilitator and teacher. Is that what you did? For That's what I life? did for many years. I was a journalist to begin with. Mm-hmm under my maiden name, Judy Mossop. And I worked as a journalist in various parts of this country for years, and then moved into learning and development and facilitating. Now I am re-fired. I am not retired. I don't work in corporates anymore. I have no desire to, but I do a lot of work in non-profits across the spectrum, religious organizations, spiritual organizations, supervision work, and I have done a lot of work in gender and race in South Africa, which has really broken me down mm, and because built that's, me. Yeah. I mean, what we are suffering here, the gender-based violence thing, that must be a little bit grueling if, you, if you're working with that. It is. I write about little bits of that in the book. There's some mm. examples of hard moments for me in gender work and race work and... Yeah, so that's what I do. I facilitate small groups and I work one-on-one -on -one as a mentor and I'm available to do this rites of passage work with older women. I'm thinking about the next book, which may be Calling the Grandmothers. <laughs> I think that will intrigue a lot of people, especially mm. if they read this one. Mm. Let's have another piece of music. This next one, another curious thing, Rising Appalachia, a song called Resilient. Mm. What is that? These two sisters, again, it's the power of the human voice and lyrics and poetry and performance poetry. And they're sisters. They play banjos, various instruments. Sometimes they play with their mother who's on violin. But they are super, super creative. And I love the lyrics of this and I love their harmonies. <laughs>
certainly haven't heard that before. Resilient by a group rising Appalachia. How did you come across that or why is it special? I know you said the words are so nice. I'm always listening out for what's moving through younger people and I just love the women's voices that are in the picture these days and meaningful words and poetry that they're putting to music. So for me this has always felt like a song of our time. Yeah. Okay. Judy Becker is my guest as we approach the end of People of Note this week, and we've been talking about her book, Calling the Daughters. Judy, what now? What's next? Is, is this your first book? You said it was the first book that you'd written. Yes, and I'm not making any promises. I'm not putting any pressure on myself. 
I'm quite astonished that I finally finished this one. It's been a marvellous journey. I think I will write. I always write. But I think there may be another book coming. Okay. Is it is this book available in the shops? It's about to be in Wordsworth, and they okay. said I could say that. They're about to take it on board. It is available through me. Have you got a website address or email? Perhaps give that to us, Judy, so that people can contact you. It's www.callingthedaughters.com. Oh, that's easy. So the book is available through me and couriered. It's on Amazon worldwide as a print on demand. It's an e-book, and it's shortly to be available on audio. Which you've read. You've read yourself. I read my own book, and I did it because a few friends I know and love said, please, I don't read anymore. I listen, and I realized how many people are listening hmm. more and reading less. That's so I decided to do it. Good for you. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to introduce another subject now, which I know is at the end of the program, but I just thought of it when you were talking about gender and we were talking about mm. gender-based violence and how difficult yeah. that is. How do you deal with the concept now of, well, more than two genders, transgenderism? Mm. Yeah. Are you sympathetic towards that and helpful and um, supportive? My work has had me in this wider field for a number of years through Gender Reconciliation and Equity International and a local organization which I helped get off the ground called GenderWorks. And the workshop was designed years ago for the binary. And in the last 15 years, that has shifted dramatically, as mm. you said. Mm. So we had to find ways to welcome everybody. And I've done quite a bit of work with people on a broad gender spectrum and have witnessed the pain and the struggle, have witnessed their encompassment by others who are at the other end of the gender spectrum, and I'm witnessing the struggle of children who are very young when some of them are saying, I'm in the wrong body. So this is a whole field. Um, <laughs> another, another interview. So when you ask me, am I supportive? I totally am committed to receiving people and their stories in the settings that I find myself in and helping them, myself and others hear and understand what their journey is like. So we very much come from a place of non-judgment, inclusion, and a lot of listening. Mm -hmm. Which is very important. Mm. And Judy, my last question, I promise. Has this always been lurking? You said you started as a journalist. I mean, your background, when did all this surface in your life, this fascination with this business? In my 20s. Oh, in your 20s, okay. Um, and all through the time I was working as a journalist, how I was evolving and growing myself as mm -hmm. a human being. Right. And, yeah, I wanted to be a social worker when I was a 16-year-old at St. Supreme's Girls' oh, okay. School in Cape Town. <laughs> so going, there's always been a social yeah. philanthropic streak in you. Yeah, there has. But the um, vocational guide we used to have in the 60s looked at me and said, you will never shut the door. You cannot be a social worker. So then my English teacher said, months later, 
when reading my poetry, she said, you need to become a writer. I was 16. I said, how do you do that? <laughs> she said, you go and become a journalist. So I did. But then, very naturally, my pull is towards the human condition, the human spirit, the vagaries of human nature, and wanting to find ways towards wholeness. And so it's always been my passion. I love this work. I don't think I'll ever stop. So that's why I say I'm refired. I'm not retired. Right. Okay. We're going to end it there, but your last piece I want you just to tell me about. Uh, apparently it's your brother. We're going to end with this. What are we going to hear? We're going to hear a piece called Fly High, which he wrote the night before, singing it at our mother's memorial service which was in Cape Town. He lives in Australia. But he wrote this piece. Oh, it makes me tearful. It's okay. Um, I was just so astonished that he could sing it, you mm -hmm. know. And um, it's a beautiful piece honoring her. She was an extraordinary woman. She'd lived to be 95. Wow. So it's for Mary, um, who was our mother, and my brother's name is John Mossop. And together with his musical counterpart who's in Switzerland they have recorded this their group is called Silicon Days D-A-Z-D <laughs> very modern sound Silicon <laughs> Days <laughs> okay yeah. Judy Becker thank you it's been really fascinating listening to you and you've even softened me up on some things I'm glad Rodney <laughs> <laughs> so thank the book you. is called Calling the Daughters it's going to be available at Wordsworth quite soon and your website is www.callingalldaughters.com. Calling the daughters. Calling the daughters. Dot com. Yeah. And now here is the song that your brother wrote. Thank you very much, Judy. Thank you, Rodney. It's been a pleasure and a delight. <laughs> You're gonna fly so high 
of note on fine music radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions FMR 101.3